Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, a podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby, mostly centered for the game masters, but those players, God, you're fucking great. I love you all. Write in more. We need to hear from you guys. I'm your host, Matt. Bitch. I am David. And welcome to Mechanics Month. It's finally here. We've talked about it for two episodes now. Hmm. Half a month we talked about it. And now it's finally here. And finally uh, here. we at least our number one fan, Rebecca, is excited as she has already sent in a question for us to bring in the Mechanics Month. But the one thing about Mechanics Month is I don't think either one of us has played any games <laughs> in like three weeks. Yeah. And this um, is coming from a guy that has three games a week. Yeah, I, I got the one that I run, but um, yeah, one of our players had to work this week. I'm off to Paris next week, so we won't be playing next week either. So yeah, we're going to probably go like only like a month between games. So that's uh, less than ideal, but hey, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah we played the Ghost Mountain game <clears throat> last week, but it was literally for... We did a showdown, which was just like a poker match, and then a level up because uh, one guy showed up way late, and it was like, we could either play for 45 minutes and try to make it worth it, or we could just do this really simple thing and do a level up. So I, I went with the latter just because 45 yeah. minutes. I'm okay with usually like two hours, but once you start getting down at an hour or less, I don't think it's worth it. It's not even, you can't even ease into the game. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it usually takes me a good 20 minutes just to remind all the players where we are, which I think is good bookkeeping. Um, just, hey, this is where we left off. Here is almost like a prologue to the adventure. Uh, and I mean, that you sometimes can take as long as 20 minutes. Sometimes it's really short and pithy, but. Uh, I want to remind all the players of, especially as an adventure moves on and there gets to be more moving parts, NPCs, balls in the air, I don't want the players to forget where anything is in mm -hmm. the narrative. And so bring everybody up to speed um, and then launch into it. So, yeah, 45 minutes is barely long enough to get into the throes of any one encounter you could run one encounter maybe yeah maybe maybe in using icrpg we goes pretty quick unless yeah unless you're running some um combats like you've been doing recently 45 minutes you could probably get get over uh, get it over with in that time yeah depending depending but yeah that's for uh it's another mechanics uh spiel for later but since we didn't have any games, let's go ahead and get into the email that Rebecca sent us. Sure. She says, hey, boys, in honor of Mechanics Month, I would hey. like to... <laughs> Hi. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> I'd like to honor Mechanics Month with asking what would you, what mechanics would you like to bring into your D&D &D game? I myself have been known to bring in the Playing Cards Initiative and Benny's from Savage Worlds, as well as the inventory rules from ICRPG. That's what it was. I thought it was the regular abilities. It was the inventory from ICRPG. What, uh, if not any of these, what would you bring in? Not to say that you ever have to, but what would you bring into your D&D &D game? Uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started uh, the recording, and I think I might actually try bringing the player cards as initiative into one of my games, probably my Shadowrun game, uh, since they're already well. She said D&D, &D, Matt, in your D&D &D game. She didn't ask I know, about your fucking no, Shadowrun I don't game. have a D&D &D game. You do. It's my D&D &D oh, game. Oh, right. Okay. Well, then I will just bring up... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, I think she only said that because that's something that we're both in. Yeah. But as a I don't GM... Think, I don't think she realizes that you don't run a D&D &D game. Though. Right. Uh, so. But as a GM, uh, there's already the hero coin that we use. Uh, the player cards initiative, I fucking love. Uh, so I'm, I think I might actually try to bring that in, but that's the only thing I could think of right now. 
Uh, other than just because it's so streamlined, it's hard to think of anything to bring in that won't like cock up the cogs or anything. What do you think? What do you got right now? Cock up the cogs. Cock up the cogs. Uh, Throw a cock in the cogs, you know? Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll answer this question in two different ways. The first of which seems to be teasing out what mechanics are we a fan of that are independent of the ones embedded in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the intent of the question. So I'll answer that second. But the first part of the question, the more literal part of the question seems to be getting at what would we bring in? And my answer to that is, well, anything that I wanted to bring in, I would have already brought in. And the reason that I don't bring them in is because I acknowledge that they create issues that I don't want to contend with mm -hmm. and the benefits don't outweigh the implications for the greater mechanic schema of the game. So I haven't brought in uh, very many. This campaign, I have brought in a lot of exterior uh, relative to other games. I've thought long and hard about what mechanics I wanted to bring in, most of which are mechanics from other games. I have brought in the Fate Point system from the Conan RPG, which mm -hmm. I really fucking like and think is a really cool um, mechanic. For those of you that don't know, in the Conan RPG they have, it's supposed to be more uh, um, designed toward a sword and sorcery kind of narrative and so consequently it focuses on kind of epic things and in this fatalistic approach so what happens is the players at the beginning of each adventure they designate scenarios that are a way of subtextually or not even subtextually overtly communicating to the dm gm in this case what they would like to see happen in the plot. And the key to that is it cannot be something that the player can just endeavor to do, right? I punch a horse in the face. That's cool, but that's not some, that's something that's fully in your control. You want to punch a horse in the face? Punch a horse in the face. Uh, so it has to have something that the, the GM would present this plot thread, this this scenario, as something out of the player's control that they can then en engage with. And in doing so, it allows the GM to craft a narrative that has components that the players like and the player, and they don't, they don't need to be good things. They don't need to be beneficial things. They can be detrimental things. They can be totally neutral things, funny things, whatever. So they just write up a few of them. And whenever the GM embeds one of them in the game, then the player gets a fate point, and those fate points can be used in the Conan RPG for a variety of things. I tweaked them a little bit, but their depletable resources kind of on par with... Uh, actually, it's a it's a more superlative depletable resource than even a Benny or anything. They're really cool. You can totally max out your damage for an attack. You can come like spend a hit die when you're dying, and so it's it gives you these heroic options. You can spend them to affect the plot in some way. Matt used one previously where it was like, oh, well, he fell he fell into this pool of water and he was holding a torch. And Matt was like, oh, I just I spend a fate, por fate point so the torch doesn't go out. Like, okay, perfectly mm -hmm. valid use. And um, to affect the plot in some way to give you a clue, to give you a minor advantage, not something that would give you an automatic success. Maybe you're in a cell and all of your gear has been taken from you. And a, a spending a fate point doesn't give you the key to your cell, but maybe the guard dozes off. Maybe some distraction happens. Maybe you find a small shard that you could use to pick a lock or something. So I really like that mechanic, and I brought it into my D&D game. Uh, there's a few other mechanics from other games. I've always been a bigger fan of damage reduction for armor mm -hmm. instead of uh, armor class. That's an example of one that just creates too many problems in the gen general schema of D&D &D because then you have to kind of adjust the hit points accordingly and, and yada, 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 create some sort of dodge or parry mechanic. You have to uproot so many of the mechanics in order to make it work. But if, if you're getting at the spirit of what mechanics are better than the D&D &D version, then 
armor should reduce damage and you should have some sort of way of avoiding attacks. Uh, that is a much better way, especially because it bolsters player health and survivability and, and all that. And it makes there more of a delineation between types of armor. Uh, I like the, the card drawing, but I don't like certain aspects of it. There's, it's seemingly random. I like initiative to be tied at least somewhat to players' skills. If anything, I wish there were different ways for you to, you know, racial bonuses or class bonuses or feat bonuses. Like it more like it was in fourth edition, where it's like you could have a whole series of bonuses that might add to your initiative, as opposed to it just being your dexterity. And there's mm -hmm. one feat that that bonus that gives you bonus. Um, I don't know that I would want to get too deep into like weapon speed and all of that. Yeah, yeah. That seems a little over laborious, but um, that's the big drawback for the drawing cards. And uh, I think we're going to have a discussion at, at some point about the benefits and drawbacks of having initiative each round, but that's a later discussion. Those will be my top ones. Uh, the fate point system that I, that I did and have brought in. And wasn't there some other one? I think it was just, they, they weren't from other games. They just kind of tweaked the rules a little bit in our current campaign. Yeah, you, never, you didn't take anything other than like um, the, uh, damn it, instead of skill challenges or, you know, like uh, the travel montages uh, mm -hmm. that were from Savage Worlds. I can never think of the fucking name of them. I don't know. Yeah, I can't fucking think of it. I always forget what that what that's called. Dramatic task. That's what dramatic it is. Dramatic tasks. Yeah. Dramatic tasks. Uh you kind of took that as I don't know, do you ever go off of like a table of like what to bring up or you just kind of shoot from the top of your head? I just do what makes sense for the player, the environment and the uh task at hand. Uh, I'm not super familiar with how to run a dramatic task. So yeah. if it's similar, it's totally by coincidence. Uh, it is it's just, very similar. It's just that uh, the GM pulls a playing card mm. and then uh, for hearts, it's like, you know, you talk about a lost love or something that you are hopeful to find. If you find, uh, get a diamond, it's something, a spade, it's something. And if you draw a club, right. it's something as well. But for that skill challenge, you get usually a club means that something very difficult is coming up, so you get a negative two to the, your to your check. I didn't think that this was what they used for dramatic tasks so much as it was the the travel thing, the downtime thing. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh, but they have a nice little section in there for because a regular dramatic task is just you're using the cards as initiative, and then if a club comes mm -hmm. up, then it's a negative two. Mm -hmm. uh, but they put that little piece in there for to help things out if you're ever going for like the travel montages and you just want to do something nice and small. I didn't steal that mechanic so much as probably transpose the spirit of that mm -hmm. mechanic. Um, but she asked specifically about mechanics. That one is not one that I really, again, because I've never run a Savage Worlds game beyond just like a one or two session sort mm -hmm. of situation never run like a campaign so i'm not super familiar with that but obviously i've read over it and probably just kind of took away the the spirit of it there's another um uh mechanic in i think it's either beasts and barbarians or blade of the iron throne which are pretty kind of like esoteric games but they're mm -hmm. also similar like sword and sorcery they have between adventure carousing rules yeah. And I'm tempted to to bring them in like the player does this during their downtime. They make an ally, they make an enemy, they have a lover, they have a gambling debt, they have make it, you know, someone's out to get them. They lose X amount of money, they gain X amount of money, they get an item, they lose an item, something like that. There's there's mechanics in there for yeah. I think it's in the Beast and Barbarians book. That's actually something that I've noticed that if you want to talk about like staple mechanics, whenever it's a straight up like dark and gritty sword and sorcery setting they always have that the the in-between carousing rules yeah they always make sure to point out that this is a big part of the campaign 
you cannot do not miss this. This is something very good. There is always uh, the going out, getting drunk, and just having a party, pretty much. Another mechanic that I like that doesn't fit the spirit of D&D, so it's the reason that I haven't incorporated it. Uh, but if I were going to run a D&D campaign that were more in line with a sword and sorcery genre, they have the... Uh, what is it called? It's like lust for life or the lure of gold rule mm -hmm. or whatever it is, which just in the Conan RPG, it just states that adventurers live hard and live fast. They live for today because they don't know what tomorrow will bring. They could be dead tomorrow because the world is a harsh and horrible place. So consequently, for each day of downtime between adventures, if the players have not earmarked a specific amount of gold for um, certain purposes, I want to buy a horse, I need a new set of armor, then each day they just lose half of their gold. Yeah. And there's another mechanic in the, I believe it's in the D and, or in the Conan RPG, it might be in the Beast, I think it's in the Beast and Barbarians actually, which is a good one too, which is they just don't track wealth. Mm -hmm. they, they just don't track wealth. They go, they go okay, here's, here's how wealth works you are going to get a reward and it's basically one two or three treasure tokens one treasure token is a like a trove of treasure is what they say like just a trove of treasure that is a good payday for a group of adventurers a two treasure token thing is what you would call a king's ransom and so that is a immense amount of wealth and then three treasure tokens is like the amount of wealth you would need to like raise an army or something to buy a ship, those sort of things. And when you're spending them as a party, you have, you can accumulate them and you say you have five treasure tokens to spend on whatever you want between adventures. What do you want to spend them on? And then the party just agrees. We're going to spend one treasure token for this and two treasure tokens for this. And then we're out and we got to go adventuring. I'm a bigger fan of, uh, they call it abstract wealth. That's what they call it, abstract wealth. And so it just obviates the need for the players to fixate on counting every coin in their inventory when really the how many coins you have on you is not really relevant. I mean, the, the story and the adventure is what's interesting. It's either you either have enough coin to get by in downtime or you don't, in which case it's time to go on an adventure. And that's more in the spirit of a sword and sorcery genre. D&D mm -hmm. &D doesn't... Most of the players that I've played with, I've never asked them directly, but I get the impression that they would just hate it in the same way that they hated the, the sundry item rule that I tried to introduce, which is they just... They really want inventory management, wealth management getting down to like these these coins like each coin like how you like there's some stripe of player that is accustomed to that and so i don't get the impression that it would be something that we're in line with uh most of the players i've had sensibilities but i do like the idea mm -hmm. i think if i was gonna make if i was gonna if i was running a DD &D game and i took the uh the mechanics that i loved of other games and i thought would be cool Let's see. Speaking of inventory, I would take the ICRPG inventory system because it's enough to make it fun, uh, but it's simple enough that it's you don't have to go meticulously through all this shit with weight. Um, I'm with you. I much prefer damage reduction in armor, uh, but we've already talked about it, how I am a fan of oblation and mm -hmm. the degradation of armor as it goes. Um, but I don't know. I could, I could go either way with that, but I do like uh, damage reduction over than just a regular armor class and all that. I would also like to go back to, oh, hell, I think it is still in the Fantasy Flight game or even uh, Shadowrun itself. Instead of just hit points, I like a physical and a stun uh, system, mm. like in the old yeah. D20 Star Wars or, uh, like I said, even in Shadowrun. Uh, I just like to be able to do, uh, you know, how much physically you've taken and how much mentally I just feel it could give a, it gives a little bit more stuff to work with in the story. If you really want to play up your character. Uh, other than that. Oh, I know exactly one uh, that I would totally steal. I have nothing against spell slots, 
and um, memorization of how many spells you could do a day or whatever. Uh, but Shadowrun's spell casting, I find it's just a lot more fun as well as I like there to be a, uh, you know, some shit that can happen if you try to be all powerful. So mm. I would bring in Drain and Fade from uh, Shadowrun where uh, every time you cast a spell, you have to roll to see if you can withstand this power that you're trying to channel. And technically, if you do not do enough, the spell, trying to cast this spell could kill you. Uh, because it just does damage to you if you're every time you cast if you're not like say you know if it was a fifth level spell and you have to make a constitution roll that is you know 10 plus the spell level or whatever uh, otherwise you're going to take five points of damage so you got to keep but every time you hit that fifth level spell it could either be you could be casting them all over the place or you could be taking five points of damage over and over again how many times you're going to do that before you finally say, ah, let's go down a little bit. Uh, that is one uh, one mechanic I really love. And I've always thought about that. Whenever I keep going back and writing my RPG, I always try to have that in there. Because I just, I don't know, I love that idea that if you want to become all-powerful in spellcasting, there should be repercussions for trying to channel this much power. And I just like that idea. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all I would bring in. Like a like you were saying, I would like to do the cards, but I know that people. I would have to start making my own feats. Uh, that so people that want to be quick and be good at initiative, that they have something that they can use for it. Uh, other than just like bringing in the jokers, but that's for everybody. Uh, other than that, I think that's it. That's everything that I would bring in initially. Uh, if I was going to take some mechanics and bring it into a D&D &D game. Because I think they could fit. It would just take some tinkering. You reminded me of a mechanic that I'm also a big fan of that I don't... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cheating and deviating pretty clearly from the intent of the question, which is what would you bring into your D&D &D game? Yeah. And the answer to that is really just not things that I like, but it, it has to be something I like and also fits the spirit of Dungeons right. and Dragons, which I'm a big fan of certain sword and sorcery things. But to that point about cost, uh, for spellcasting, there's a, there's a corruption rule in the Conan RPG too, that mm -hmm. it's like magic is a corrupting effect. Magic is much more rare in the Conan world, but it is much more powerful. It is not a common thing. But because of that, you always run the risk of it just, like, corrupting you and, like, turning you basically into this power-drunk evil thing. So you have to balance, like, how judiciously and how frequently to use magic, like, because there's a mechanic embedded in the game that forces you to contend with this um, playing with fire, so to speak. And since it's Mechanics Month, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I generally favor mechanics that are serve a purpose mm -hmm. and and a certain aspect of the game. So listeners of this podcast likely know that I am frequently on about clarity in the rules and then being concrete and not being too fuzzy, but that is when they serve some sort of purpose for the game. Some aspects of the game don't need that wealth management, inventory management. I, I don't, I'm not for up and down, like crunchy rules for everything because it slows the game down mm -hmm. and it, and it puts the focus on something other than the dramatic elements of the plot and the characters. And so when that's the case, I strive for more simplicity or abstract concepts that serve a narrative drive. And when it serves a role, like in combat or a skill challenge or something that might uh, have dramatic stakes and consequences for the player where they need to have a, they need to have a lot of clarity because because the story hinges, uh, like what they do will hinge on, 
X, Y, or Z, but maybe this is myopic of me. Role-playing games and adventure-oriented role-playing games especially, if you're fixated on how much wealth you're accumulating, how powerful your magic weapons are, how much gear you're carrying, you're missing the spirit of the game. You're, you're missing the, the whole the reason that the game is, is fun and, and enjoyable, which is heroic characters making moral choices, performing heroic actions, and, and having a certain uh, dynamism in the plot that leads to a catharsis and, and, and heroic victory regardless of how much wealth wealth is a tool in the game to achieve those ends. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you're fixating on the latter as opposed to the former, then, or the former as opposed to the latter, excuse me, uh, you're putting the cart before the horse. So, uh, that is my general view of mechanics, which is they, they should serve a purpose. If you have a combat mechanic that is fuzzy and gray and narrative driven, it undermines the dramatic stakes, the narrative focus, and everything else. And so it's not good. So it needs to be more mechanics-based. And you only have a certain amount of mental wherewithal for mechanics. Like, if you overlay too many mechanics on every stage of everything, you need some, some sort of mechanic as to how many beers you can drink. So, uh, mechanics as to what happens if you get six hours of sleep instead of eight hours of sleep. At some point, you become saturated with the mechanics and it becomes overwrought and it becomes about the crunchiness of, of dice rolls and stuff. And when taken to the extreme, we realize, yeah, there is some threshold where too many mechanics is, is not helping the game and is hindering the game. And I think that threshold lies with the purpose of any given mechanic. If you only have a certain amount of saturation for something mechanical, why not reserve it for the things that really matter and drive the plot forward? And and the role of a die is dramatic as opposed to becoming so fucking routine to tracking inventory, rolling for whatever, mm -hmm. then it just, you get kind of analysis paralysis and just burned out on it. It starts to, everything just starts to feel mechanics driven and, and can undercut the drama, the, the intrigue, the mystery, the heroism of the story. And, and then I think that's when it's failing. Yeah. There's some cats out there. They just fucking love that shit though. I mean, as much as I talk about how much I love Shadowrun, you will never hear me say I'm playing Shadowrun, the actual system, just because it's it's what they call they called a uh, oh god they're called a uh, virtualizations or something like that. But Shadowrun, GURPS, Palladium with like a uh, old school riffs, oh, yeah. uh, Rollmaster, where it's literally there's a role and a mod for fucking everything you do. Like in GURPS, there is a table for what's the wind right now and how high up are you if you're a sniper and you get all these modifiers. And some people just fucking love that shit. But it, like you said, I'm here to play a game where we're just here to have a few drinks, have some fun and make some make some memories. But some dudes, man, they fucking get in on this shit and they're just like, these numbers are give me purpose. The, because... Embedded in the concept of a game is mechanics. Yeah, of course. But a role-playing game is not just a game. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I suspect that both of our opinions is that the appeal of a role-playing game is that it's not pure story because neither of us seem to favor things that are just purely narrative-driven. And I've heard you say, and I have said, at the end of the day, as much as I don't like that phrase, uh, you're playing a game, and there yeah. needs to be some concrete whatever. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have something that's a pure game, which is mechanics. You know, you play Candyland or whatever, Imperial Assault. There's mechanics for everything, and there needs to be. But what I love about role-playing games is that they are both a story and a game yep. at the same time. If you don't strive for a balance between those two elements story when it's appropriate 
and game when it's appropriate, then you you move to one side of the bell curve or the other. I want it to be a story and a game. Yeah. And they're both equally important, but you need to establish when the role-playing game is a story and when it's a game. Mm-hmm. And this touches on our, our discussion from last week about railroading, because if it's a story, then it goes in one direction. And if it's a game, it's totally open-ended. And neither of those is ideal. You can't mm-hmm. just have the players just sandboxing everything. There's no story to the thing. But if it's just pure story, then they're just characters in a movie, and they're not really acting with agency in the world to affect things with their skills and, and, and ingenuity. Oh, dude, I'm with you. And how you were talking earlier about if you're going to have a rule or a mechanic, it better be for a good reason, it should be fun, mm-hmm. and it should be a part of the game that's going to come up at least, you know, maybe just once a session at least. Like, there's this game out there called, I don't know if anybody out there, I'm sure there's some of you that are listening that know this game, it's called Fatal. Mm-hmm. Horrible fucking game. Again, <laughs> it's it's supposed to be a horror game, and it's another one of those ones that's chocked full of mechanics and rules. There is an actual rule like you have to roll for anal circumference this is no bullshit you roll for your anal circumference because it's going to come up later and i just oh come on dude fuck you fuck you fuck that get out of here i don't care i want to roll for my blood type or whatever get out of here uh so yeah when it gets too big like that and then especially for rules are you talking about the anal circumference when the anal circumference gets too big yeah there you go I know. Oh God, Ugh. and I've never even wanted to play that game just because trying to read through it is horrible. It's terrible. It's a bad game. Uh, but uh, also, there are a lot of rules. Like I know some people they dig it. They love the monetary uh, systems as well as inventory. I like to be able. Uh, I like inventory management. Like again, with the ICRPG, all it is is you can carry ten things and you can equip ten things. And then if you want, you can swap them around, but that's it. You can only do those things. I think that's enough mechanics for it to be fun, to have a good fun management. But my favorite monetary comes from Call of Cthulhu with the credit rating, where it says your credit rating is this. This means that you usually have carried with you. You have this much. It usually means if you have liquid in this. And if it ever gets up to that high, then you got to roll for it. Otherwise, if it's not, you can fucking afford some shit. Yeah, VTM is is similar, at least second and third edition. Here is, you have three resources. What that usually means is that you have this amount of stuff at your disposal. Anytime you go to buy something over X threshold, depending on what your resources, if your resources are zero, maybe it's every time you go to buy something over $5, you can't afford anything. But if you have one, maybe it's like anything that you purchase over $500, you have to roll. Mm -hmm. And you can either afford it or you cannot afford it. Yep. It doesn't deplete your like inventory because that is just not really serving the purpose that you want it to serve. Like there needs to be there needs to be rules and mechanics so that you don't have players carrying everything other than the kitchen sink and just pulling fucking, you know, oh, I pull out like a horse out of my bag. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you, you can't have that. So you don't want to break the world, but you also want to go, okay, the reason that this is important is because it serves the the narrative in some way. And if it ever gets to be where you're fixating on it in a way that is just bookkeeping, then it's not serving that purpose. And you have to ask yourself, how relevant is it to the plot, mm-hmm. uh, especially with mechanics that require the roll of a die? Rolling a die should be a dramatic thing where success or failure leave the players changing their course of action or you know they're anticipating it matters in some way and if you water down that pool of dice rolls to the point where they're just rolling for everything as if everything in the world is totally random it becomes less significant Mm -hmm. and so if it becomes less significant then it's no longer dramatic and it's no longer serving the story in which case you have to decide which things you want to iron out and which things you want to maintain. So, I don't know. That's uh, We've deviated quite a bit from her question. You want to do a community question? We did. And, uh, yes, I do. Let's go ahead and do a community question. I got a four. 
four. Fucking pretty lame, dude. Hmm. Shit roll, shit die. This one comes from Inkblade Publishing. All right. Okay. Title is Advantage, Disadvantage, Alternatives. So I'm trying to come up with some fun and unique ways of of giving advantages and disadvantages to players players' roles rather than D&Ds rolling two dice and picking higher or lower. What I love about this approach is that it's super easy and requires so little thinking. Are there any alternatives that aren't too complicated? Ideally, I would want my players to have complex combat scenarios and less complicated dice rolls. So one way I have attempted this is with attack slash armor types. Certain attack types are better slash worse against certain armor types. So if the player has the advantage in that attack, then they add the modifier dice to their regular damage dice. I see this as gaining an advantage through smart choice rather than dumb luck or GM handholding. Also, I only have a combat example as this doesn't work for social interaction unless you use personality traits. Again, I have little knowledge of tabletop RPGs outside of D&D 5e, so if what I have described is already in a game, I apologize. would also love to hear what systems use an attack-slash-armor type system if any uh, has suggestions. Uh, Then they go, oh, a TLDR later. Thanks for that at the very end. So different ways to do advantage and disadvantage. Dave, you got any ideas? Well, he seems to be teasing out uh, or focusing in on something that actually was a mechanic in second edition Dungeons and Dragons, which is that certain weapons do more or are more successful against certain armor types. I don't really know what he's getting at by saying he wants to have more sophisticated. How did he phrase it? He wants to have more sophisticated battle scenarios. More, si- while, while... more sophisticated, uh, more complex, complex combat scenarios and less complicated dice rolls. Right. That those two things seem at odds with yeah, each other. To they me. do. Less complicated dice. More sophistication means more complicated, uh-huh. and more complicated. You. Well, that's just it. Complex it, and complication might as well be the same fucking word. Complex means to have a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. sophistication means to be allowing for a variety of scenarios and nuance so if a system in an rpg is sophisticated it is typically complex so i don't really know what he what he's getting at there but allowing for a variety of scenarios to grant certain benefits is really what's key. Think about if you want to have dynamic and sophisticated combat encounters that aren't overwrought. I think the weapon type versus armor type is too complicated. It, yeah. It just requires too much consideration prior to an attack. Yeah. Advantage just requires you to grab 2d20 and throw them uh-huh. it doesn't go okay well so i have a spear and that's a piercing weapon against his what sort of armor is he wearing he's wearing chain mail so that gives me an extra plus one so do, do i want to pull my sword out here but it's like if i get it's, it's it anything that requires pause is reducing how dynamic an encounter is mm-hmm. but anything that is so simplistic to not even require any strategy or thought uh removes any nuance and dynamic um, uh, action from the encounter. So what I would say is just provide a lot of scenarios that provide a range of bonuses to an attack roll, as opposed to using advantage or disadvantage. I'm with him. I like the simplicity of the advantage or disadvantage, but it doesn't seem to encapsulate the a lot of variety it doesn't offer of a lot of variety so you could just have x amount of scenarios an enemy is prone an enemy is on horseback an enemy is has a smaller weapon than you uh bake those in and give it say between a plus one and a plus five then there's a variety of you can get anywhere between a plus one and a plus five Try to keep everything in the positive. Don't apply penalties to things, because then when you go positive, 
you have a bonus and a penalty, and then those bonus and penalties stack, just avoid that. Avoid penalties just for simplicity's sake. Just give it a range of plus one to plus five, and then think of a variety of scenarios that fall under that category. If you're attacking an enemy in melee combat and another ally is helping you, like you're both attacking him and he has a shield on one side and you know he has a shield so it's like he can't defend both of you with the shield so that gives you a plus one or a plus two or whatever you want to say an enemy is prone that gives you a plus three or maybe a plus four uh whereas an enemy is unarmed or an enemy is whatever i would just try to think of it in terms of scenarios and and provide a a range of bonuses so it's not just either advantage or not advantage mm. advantage or disadvantage is a pretty binary thing and typically just amounts to about a plus five on a roll so that if you wanted to widen the range of variance without over complicating the rule system that would be the best way to go about it i think what he's really asking for is because i was looking it over again and uh, he says, uh, I see that as gaining an advantage through smart choice rather than dumb, dumb luck or GM handholding. So I think he, what he's talking about is ways to come up with an advantage, disadvantage that the players know that they're going to get it, which is still weird because like advantage, you can you still know if you're flanking, you're going to get an advantage. Other different not ways you're going to get Not advantage. everybody uses the flanking rule. That's true. And that's what I'm saying is that if you come up with these scenarios and you communicate them to a player, if an enemy is prone, you get a plus four to your attack roll. That allows the players to figure out ways to knock an enemy prone so they can get mm -hmm. that plus four. Or ganging up on an enemy. Or he's unarmed. So if he's unarmed, allies get X bonus, plus three to their attack roll against him. And in which case it incentivizes them to try to do things that are a little more outside the box, like disarm an opponent, knock an opponent prone, um, back against the wall or, or higher ground as much as, as much as that's not really a thing we're having the, it's a, it's enough in the zeitgeist where like having the higher ground is like an advantage, even though I don't know why it would ever be, um, stuff like that, you know, horseback makes sense. You're on horseback. Okay. It is, you're, you're much more of a threat. So you're, arm the players with these variety of scenarios. Um, you don't need to enumerate every one, but give them a good idea of what constitutes a plus one, a plus two, a plus three, a plus four, a plus five, or one, two, three, four, or two, three, four, five, or whatever you want to do. Um, give them an idea. So examples in this category, and make sure the examples are fairly numerous. Try to have at least five or six examples in each if you can't think of five or six examples for plus one two three four five then narrow it to two three four mm. and give them five or six examples then they will likely without needing to enumerate every scenario and have an overwrought over complicated mechanics for it no it doesn't fit this it doesn't fit this description it's not like enumerated here in the list of things that just give them an idea of the order of magnitude that you're talking about attacking someone from on top of horse is on par with them being prone, right? You, you have an idea that, that your quantifiable advantage is similar, and then it will allow enough concrete description for your players to understand at what threshold of advantage they're looking for, plus two, one, three, five, whatever, and enough flexibility for them to play around with it. Well, this is probably about the same as X. I... Um, you know, have a torch in one hand and a sword in the other hand, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, and that's, you know, oh, okay, sure, get a, you know, you know, get a plus two or whatever, and they're they're not likely to be surprised. They're likely to have a good semblance without it being enumerated specifically. You're not playing the, you're not playing a semantic game where you need to like define what a thing is specifically. Just give them a kind of ballpark of what constitutes a plus one, and give them enough examples to go, okay, I kind of feel like I understand what a plus one is. And then it'll govern their actions in the combat accordingly. It'll provide enough flexibility and variety for them to get a range of bonuses and try out a, a range of things and feel out like where those bonuses lie. It'll spark some creativity, probably 
shake up the the combat encounters more to your satisfaction? I would suggest from just what we're talking here, uh, if you don't want to just do the pluses, uh, which is kind of like a basic thing that they did in third and fourth edition, a lot of the shit that you did was just pluses, which I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of. I think that's it's easy. It's uh, the players can really get it behind it how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want, fuck, I already forgot what he was saying. Yeah, complex combat with uh, and less complicated dice rolls. Go play a D and D. Yeah, because then you have weapon speed. You have weapon types versus versus armor types like you were already talking about uh because bludgeoning our piercing against chainmail did more damage than slashing uh and bludgeoning and then it all sorts of other shit yeah. uh, i'm not even going to get into it but they had a ton of shit back then if you wanted to make it more complex yeah that, that uh you're going to play it and you're going to realize oh that's why they got rid of it it's complex dice rolls are ones, in my view, maybe he doesn't mean this, but in my view, complex dice rolls are ones that are applying multiple modifiers. Yeah. And and that's not good because you have to go, okay, I'm dual wielding and he only has a one-handed weapon. So I get a plus one to him because he doesn't have a shield and he has a one-handed weapon. And it's, it's easier to hit somebody when I have a second sword. Mm-hmm. However, I'm also wielding two heavy weapons and it's harder to wield two heavy weapons than it is two light weapons and i'm making an attack with my off hand so my primary attack gets a minus one and my secondary attack gets a minus two normally but because i'm wielding heavy weapons it's a minus two and a minus three but i also get a plus one for attacking him so it's only a minus one and a minus two for the second attack right but i'm going to do a wild attack, attack with my offhand so it's a negative two to that one right right it's like your damage right it's like bonus modifier like bonus negative bonus penalty yeah. bonus it's like try to flatline all of that and just say that one or maybe two modifiers at most Mm -hmm. to apply to it if you want less complex dice rolls. The more a player has to think about what they're adding to any given D20 roll, the more it slows the game down. But it does add for more sophistication in their ability to do things. But if you are trying to tease out sophistication in actions, like the variety of things that they can do, not necessarily the embedded mechanics in a single action then try to just incentivize a variety of actions with a variety of bonuses then you don't have to worry about bonuses and and penalties on top of things and and figuring out what the net bonus or net negative is uh it just slows everything down so try to just think about it in terms of actions and what those bonuses or, or you could even do you know twofold bonuses on this side and negatives on the other side and but if you you you're i would really caution you against having more than two measures of the thing that you're you're trying to tease out a player should Mm -hmm. be able to within about a second and a half decide what the modifier for a die roll is between declaration of action and tossing the die yeah if there's anything beyond that then it's overly laborious and it kind of bogs down uh the the dynamism of the encounter yeah as i was brought this up earlier uh with combat encounters and how long they take D has uh, been notorious for their long combats fourth edition was the absolute fucking worst because mm-hmm. everything was huge numbers there was numbers for let's see there was four defenses yeah. uh and as well as there were so many things that a PC could do, there was like fucking three to sometimes five dice rolls that could happen in one turn. Yeah. And next thing you know, a uh, five PCs against five kobolds and a and two orcs was a two and a half hour combat for yeah, no fucking no. reason. No bueno. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, if you want it to be complex, there's much better ways to do it than trying to actually... This is one thing that I will say. During Mechanics Month, this is not what you need mechanics for. Combat should be a little bit more streamlined, I believe. 
uh, just because nobody wants to do it for that long. Otherwise, we'd all be playing Warhammer. Uh, it's probably segues into our final thoughts on the topic. So, okay, so that's not what you need mechanics for. So in your view, what do you need mechanics for? The mechanics are for, uh, you've already hit them real good. The mechanics are there to make the big uh, the big decisions or the big events happen in a certain way, as well as they are there for you to uh, make the character that you want in order for it to work within the game and have the game feel fun. That's probably not a bad operational definition of what the mechanics do. Yeah, when it comes to the character, building the character, it was how you brought up earlier that if you're going to have a mechanic, then it should have something to do within the game. And that's why I've always liked my characters. To like, If I have something about them, I want a mechanic to work with it. Uh, sometimes it can just be flavor, but sometimes I'll give myself an actual flaw. Like with uh, Anduin, when I played him and I gave him the, the frost leg, if he was ever in a zone that magic wasn't working, that leg was going to be gone. And also I gave, my, uh, gave myself negatives to stealth as well. The mechanics should be providing consistency and predictability for the players in scenarios where the outcome of an encounter affects the plot in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So mechanics that don't serve that purpose, they're not providing consistency and predictability for the players, uh, meaning that they're, they're just there for the sake of a, providing a dice roll. Don't serve that purpose. And mechanics that maybe do provide predictability and consistency and are concrete and specific, but don't service the overall drama of the plot, don't really achieve much. Uh, occasionally, I'm a fan of allowing for a mechanic or a dice roll that falls outside the scope of that um, for uh, anchoring in the player's minds that just because something's outside the rule, the scope of the mechanics doesn't mean that they can just endeavor to do it. Mm -hmm. There might be, uh, uh, for instance, let's say your character were trying to uh, seduce a woman. There's no mechanic for this, mm -hmm. as there shouldn't be. And uh, establishing a mechanic for it is probably a little weird and overwrought because rarely does the plot hinge on a PC seducing a character. It's usually something they endeavor to do in a downtime scene or for fun or whatever. But if you wanted to communicate to the player in a certain way that that the women of the world aren't just yours for the taking, or perhaps the NPC in question did service the plot in some way, then you might call for a die roll. And there's nothing wrong with not establishing a mechanic, but establishing um, an either-or scenario, trying to seduce a barmaid or whatever, Eh, give me a give me a charisma persuasion check. Like it could go one of two ways. Maybe maybe it's fun and lighthearted and like yay you get the girl or or maybe you get rejected, and in which case it is servicing uh, not the plot but it's servicing character development in some way. It shows something about the character and puts him in a compromising position. But codifying that into some sort of can you imagine if we had a rule set that was like, this is how you seduce yeah. an NPC. How much that would sap the fun out of that, which is inherently kind of supposed to be a role-playing mm -hmm. thing. Uh, other things where it is, it is more concrete, it's a fight, it's a skill challenge, need that level of structure because the players need to know that they can navigate things based on their skills and that there's a random element of chance that is affecting their decision tree 
if I succeed here, then I do this. And if I fail here, I would do that. And I would do this. And then there's, and they would hopefully use those skills in a way that minimizes random chance over a long arc, because that's what you want. You, the either or of success or failure based on a die roll forces the players to think in more creative ways to ensure their victory. Well, if I fail here and then I fail here and then, and you know, they kind of get behind the eight ball gradually, then it, it makes it more and more dismal and consequently more heroic if they manage to pull themselves out of it to assure some sort of victory. That's what you're striving for. That's like some semblance of catharsis and makes the players uh, feel as though they can affect the plot through anything other than the the dice and the and the mechanics that are embedded. So it needs to provide guidance and structure without hamstringing them into an overly um, bankrupt and soulless series of dice rolls and mechanics because that saps the spirit out of the whole uh, adventure. And then you have other times where you have a oh you know I want to I want to try to get with her and I tell her all about my massive dong. It's like okay sure you know roll a deception roll well, deception. Why do you think I'm lying? Oh please dude you're a fucking halfling. Yeah I'm a fucking halfling. I'm a fighter with a kickstand dude. What do you expect? And then that never goes well. It's yeah don't have because to worry about that shit. You 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 need to. On one hand, you want to encourage the players to think in heroic terms. But that doesn't mean that you need to say yes to every mm -hmm. single thing about, well, I just decide that I am, I got a big old dick. Okay, how many, how many guys that are playing an RPG are going to be like, eh, you know, it's not, it's not really. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know. No, I'm, I'm not I'm under average at most. I'm not handsome at all. And so you might do that if you were trying to be fearsome or scary or whatever. But uh, I, I go on this jag about all the time about players. You races list the average height and weight for their players, for their, their characters, average. And nobody ever chooses to be a character of average or below average height for whatever reason humans are always like if you're a human character unless you're playing a rogue who might you know like oh i'm like you know stealthy and whatever but no one is ever like like you're always like six foot or taller mm. it's like do you not realize that i mean like less than 10 percent of men are six foot or taller now if you're like a big burly fire guy that's fine but it's like if you're a bard, you're it's like, oh, I'm 6'2". It's like, you're a bard, dude. What's the likelihood <laughs> that you're like in this fantasy world? No, it's like, I'm not having it, right? You can't just say yes to everything because it just, it amps up the stakes. Um, let's just see maybe a throw of a die or whatever. Uh, otherwise, the players might feel you're stonewalling them. That's a good tactic for DMs is to kind of hide behind, hide behind saying no behind some sort of die roll. It's like, oh, I'll just roll for it. Let's just roll and yeah, see what binary. happens. Yeah, it's like, instead of just me stonewalling you. But you can't just allow players free reign to decide that their characters are whatever. Mm. Women are really attracted to me. I mean, I don't have very high charisma, but but the charisma I do have is is like just at the ladies. It's yeah. like, okay, sure. Hey, and you know what? I've, already, I've played recently high charisma characters. But I've had a lot of fun, like a lot of the uh, so many of the characters that I've played recently, not just in the D&D &D game, but out uh, even with the Marvel game that I'm in. Yeah. A lot of my characters look like Danny DeVito now. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care uh, about it. I actually find it funnier as if, yeah, Danny DeVito is this uh, big rough and tumble sort of guy. It's the it's the gnome barbarian scenario, you know, I um I imagine your character in our D&D &D game more as uh this one like now a, uh like one of those like hipster dudes that like has yeah. kind of like he's kind of like looks kind of like a barber or kind of like a bartender yeah, I was, like, like an errol flynn is a yeah is that's kind of what i, I imagine your guy yeah i really uh 
try to put in a lot more Errol Flynn into it hmm. with yeah. a big curly mustache. Yeah. All right. But it's kind of a dick. Well, I think that's going to be an, uh, a podcast for this week. Come back next week. Maybe not next week. We'll find out. Not, ne- not next week. Possibly not. But Mechanics Month is going to continue on no matter what. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments for Mechanics Month, send it to inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Come watch us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash inside the GM studio every Sunday, 9, 9 o'clock Eastern. But for this week, for Inside the GM studio, I've been your host, Matt. I am David. A good night.